If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have at least two electronic devices, a smartphone and a laptop or desktop computer. And sometimes moving files from one to the other can be a pain. I have a photo or I have, you know, a thing that I want to send to myself or use in an email. And I literally, I send it over email or Slack onto my desktop just so that I can access it in that other environment. Andrew Zhang is CEO of Andromium, a company that's working on a product that blurs the lines between laptops and desktops. As smartphones become more and more powerful, it's possible your phone could be the only personal computing device you need, unless you want a bigger screen, a keyboard, or some of the other things that you get with a laptop or desktop computer. Andromium's Superbook looks like a small notebook, but it doesn't have a processor or operating system. Instead, it uses your phone for both of those things. Coming up on LPX, what if your smartphone could also be your laptop? I'm Brad Linder, and this is LPX. After developing a Superbook prototype, Andromium launched a Kickstarter campaign in hopes of raising $50,000 to start building Superbooks. The company did a little better than that and raised nearly $3 million and hopes to begin shipping Superbooks to backers of the campaign in early 2017. I spoke with Andromium CEO Andrew Zhang shortly after the end of the Kickstarter campaign. The Superbook has an 11.6-inch display, a keyboard, a touchpad, a battery, and USB ports. It looks like a laptop computer, but Zhang explains the Superbook doesn't actually do anything until it's connected to another device. So you plug it into the phone and our software, which is an app on any Android uh, smartphone, launches, um, essentially transforms your Android device into kind of a familiar desktop mode and all that shows up on the Superbook. And, and so when you say the familiar desktop mode, we're talking a taskbar, we're talking to be able to view more than one app at a time, things like that. Exactly. Taskbar, search, uh, notification center, being able to actually optimize Android applications in a way that's familiar to desktop users. One of the things that we're particularly excited about is being able to work with Android developers to optimize existing Android apps to be used in a desktop optimized environment. And, and so, I mean, when you look at all the apps that exist currently, some of them are things that really translate well, I think, to being used in a desktop mode. Like there's a mobile version of Microsoft Office, there's Google Docs, video players, uh, all sorts of things like that. But what you're saying is, if this idea catches on, we could see more applications that feel like desktop applications that are designed specifically for Android devices. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know what, uh, you know, software for mobile applications have gotten really, really good. But the area of software where, you know, some things that you don't necessarily want to do on your smartphone tend to be things that involve creativity uh, or involve knowledge work, because a lot of that requires being able to take complex ideas and be able to visualize things, right? So having the larger screen and the laptop form factor really helps in those aspects. And one of the things that we want to start promoting is an ecosystem of mobile applications that also have a tablet version that you can switch over to. And it should be a seamless transition. When you're on your phone working on it, it should show you the mobile um, UI. And the second that you plug it into the Superbook, it should be the same data, same application, except it looks optimized for desktop. Basically, one device, one set of apps, you don't have to run something on your laptop and run something completely different on your phone and then synchronize the data between them. But that said, I mean, you're carrying around a thing that looks like a laptop, it feels like a laptop, it has some weight like a laptop. You still have two devices. So really, what's the advantage of doing it this way as opposed to having, say, a Windows laptop and an Android phone? Totally. And outside of the benefit of cost, right? Like I think for us, it doesn't really make sense to buy and maintain 
multiple computing devices and try to upgrade them every couple of years, right? We think that at the scale that mobile is developing, it's going to be, and it probably for a lot of people is, the most powerful computer that you have. So why maintain and buy, you know, separate devices and have them be in a separate ecosystem when the mo- you know, you already have a really really powerful computer in your smartphone? That's the first benefit. And the second benefit really comes down to think about having everything in one ecosystem, right? If you have all of your application data usage off of one computing device, you'll never have to do things like, you know, I, I do this a lot where I have a photo or I have you know, a thing that I want to send to myself or use in an email. And I literally, I send it over email or Slack onto my desktop just so that I can access it in that other environment where everything contained in one ecosystem allows you to never have to break that flow. And, and so what makes you say that Android is necessarily the right platform for this? Or I know you've started experimenting with using the Superbook to work with phones that run other operating systems or with tablets and stuff. But Andromium, as the name suggests, really started off working with Android. Why do you think Android's going to be that one operating system instead of, say, Windows or something else? That ultimately comes down to the sheer scale of mobile devices, right? We have I think it's like one and a half billion PC, you know, laptop, desktop devices in the world. But close to you know, 4 billion smartphone devices out there. And 82% of the smartphone population uses Android as their operating system. And, you know, the remaining primarily use iOS. So we're talking about entire generations of people that have grown up and their first and sometimes only computer is an Android smartphone. We want to build off of that population, and really it's that momentum that carries forward. We initially launched our product to the Kickstarter community, but the general idea is that we're going to try to sell this product in developing and mobile-first economies, whereas people start thinking about, what am I going to do for a job, or how do I, how do I start doing knowledge work so I can propel myself into a higher income bracket? They're going to be looking into doing things like becoming the future developers and designers of the world, right? And the ecosystem that they're already familiar with is Android. And we simply want to allow them to do a lot more with something that they already know. You talked about the cost idea. Instead of having to buy a new laptop and new phone all the time, in this case, again, we are still talking about two different devices. I think what makes it maybe different than buying laptops and phones is that the Superbook itself is relatively affordable with a starting price, at least during Kickstarter, of $99. So you've got a $99 device that you might be able to keep for your next three phones, or maybe in the future there'll be a more powerful or a higher resolution screen or a bigger screen or something. Superbook, I don't know if you guys have started thinking them that road yet. But Oh, trust um, me, we've... we've, we've uh, we- <laughs> We can't not think about it because all of our backers, in fact, half of our backers put in additional funds just to upgrade their existing Superbook either on the screen or with uh, backlit keys. And I think there's a lot of appetite for a, a more premium tier of product. But yeah, now as you mentioned, price is certainly an advantage, not just in that the starting price is lower because you know it's essentially a laptop stripped of a lot of the expensive components. But also in that if we're building this correctly, right, and we've built this to be adaptable to pretty much any Android smartphone, uh, you know, both Type-C and Micro-B, you should be able to have this as your device for your next few smartphones. And every time you upgrade your smartphone, you're essentially upgrading your laptop environment. So you took to Kickstarter and you said, we've got this idea, we've got this sort of prototype, we have the software that we've had for a little while, it's been in beta, you can try it right now. But we've got this idea to make this laptop. And we want to raise $50,000. 
30 days or so later, you've raised almost $3 million. <laughs> Why do you, what, what happened? I, you know, I don't, I still can't quite explain it. I mean, we're, we're absolutely blown away. You know, I think we had a lot of uh, momentum behind this idea because it's not a, it's not necessarily a new idea, but I think our implementation excited a lot of people because it is on a, a device that they're familiar with. We have the history of providing a good software experience and people could actually try out our software. And by the way, this is not a new idea, but in the past, the times where it's failed, it's failed on a couple dimensions, right? Either it was not affordable enough and or the software experience was really poor, as you kind of saw with the Atrix or the, the pad phone. Or Microsoft Continuum is actually a pretty decent experience, except no one wants to own a Windows mobile phone. Everyone has an Android device. So I think the fact that we were we came in at the right kind of cross between both operating system and software and price appeal gave us a boost. That being said, I think you can't plan for the response that we got from our Kickstarter community, and we're extremely, extremely uh, excited that we were able to, to do so. Another thing that I thought was really interesting was that in the Kickstarter campaign, you said, if we raise $50,000, we'll make it, and if we raise a certain amount extra, we'll make an optional 1080p display for people who want to spend $30 extra to get a higher resolution screen. And then if we make even more money, instead of having just a 1080p display, we'll let people have a backlit keyboard and a 1080p display. And people said, wait, 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 I don't want to spend that much more. I just wanted the, the high resolution screen. So, so you responded to that by saying, let's, let's have a poll and see what the community wants. So I think, I think in a lot of ways, you know, you guys have sort of tried to figure out what it is that the the potential customers wanted, right? Yeah, I mean, I'll be more than candid in that we didn't expect to actually have to figure out how to do the 1080p screen in that short period of time. It was more of a, yeah, okay, if we make a million dollars on the Kickstarter, we'll do a 1080p screen. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, it so happened that we actually had to deliver. But, you know, it, it, it was good. Actually, we had to do a bunch of engineering um, work in the first few days of the campaign because it became clear after the second day that, okay, yeah, we're going to have to, you know, actually be able to deliver and we might as well make sure that we can deliver with like a certain amount of certainty. The good thing was for a lot of things, including back of the keys and 1080p, you know, even a little bit of homework made us pretty confident that we'd be able to deliver at a decent price. And the community responded really well to it. I will say that one or two days where we had to deal with the, the pushback on how we had structured our stretch goals was pretty stressful. But, you know, I think the one thing that was easy, or sorry, made it a little bit easier is we had a bunch of people actually reach out to say, hey, you know, I know a bunch of people are angry, but you have to know that they are you know, kind of the vocal minority. The people that end up getting you know, the most upset are a small group of people, um, but you have a lot of other people supporting. And, and what it turned out after that survey was done was that that was just the case. Most people actually were perfectly fine with the option that we gave them, but we still wanted to, you know, again, overall make our, our backers happy. So tell me a little bit about uh, about Andromium. You guys have been at it for a while. This is actually not your first time to try crowdfunding for a hardware project. It's just far more successful than your first attempt, right? Yeah, I would say so. The last time we ran a Kickstarter, I would say it was more of the mentality that, hey, look, the internet will find this cool, so let's put it up you know, and see what happens. And to be perfectly honest, that 
was a very naive way of looking at Kickstarter. So this time we were, I would say, put a lot more work into the overall process. It paid off, but I can't say that like it's something that you can replicate or even we can replicate because I, I think a lot of it is just right place, right time. Uh, but certainly doing the prep work increases your chances. And, and so the first time, you already had the software or a version of the software, which allows you to have the taskbar and the multitasking and so forth. But you tried to make a desktop dock and said, plug it into an external monitor and you can use your, your phone like a desktop. And I also sort of get the sense maybe that's not as appealing as the idea of using a laptop because laptops outsell desktops these days. We're talking about mobile devices. So maybe just the idea of having a portable device was more appealing too. Yeah, certainly on the product side. I mean, the first time that we ran the product, you know, there were a lot more limitations. This version took a lot more to put together. I would say commercial appeal is definitely higher. Um, and that was a lot of the feedback that we had gotten from people that wanted to be backers from the first campaign. The one nice thing about failing at a Kickstarter campaign is, well, one, people are a lot nicer to you. You know, when you, when you <laughs> fail, people... <laughs> uh, but you gained a, we gained a community of people that were really excited about what we were doing, that were willing to give feedback to us, that were willing to be patient, and a lot of them, when we had launched our product, were one of the first, you know, were some of the first people to back it. And that was, by the way, launch day, we hold ourselves in a conference room, put, you know, Kickstarter war room on the, uh, on the whiteboard and just prepared ourselves, right? But there's nothing, there was nothing to prepare ourselves for like that first, I think the minute after we launched, there were like 10 purchases and we were like, oh my God, what's going on? Um, it was pretty, pretty insane. And a lot of those people, again, were people that had been waiting for a year and a half for us to get our act together. And, and, and as you mentioned, this is not the first time we've seen a product like this. I mean, two of the most well-known, perhaps, were the Palm Folio, which came out shortly before Palm disappeared into HP and never to be seen again. And again, that was an expensive device for an operating system that was not ever very popular. And the Motorola Atrix Lapdock, which was interesting, but really weird in a lot of ways, because it was a device that was made to work with a specific line of Motorola phones. The phones ran Android. The laptop was designed so that when you plug the phone in, they ran a weird version of Linux that was basically meant to give you a desktop version of the Firefox web browser. So the idea was similar to yours in that you have your phone, you plug it into this laptop, and then you can have a desktop-like experience, but it was a little bit more disjointed and expensive. If I remember, those things cost, was it like 400 or $500 just for the docking station? $500 just for the dock. Yeah, it's pretty interesting how everything has evolved. But this, is, this really is one of those examples where, you know, a few years of time really makes a huge difference. The reason why Motorola had to make those product decisions was because at the time, laptop components were not as cheap as they are right now. And phones weren't as powerful as they are right now. And we happen to be in a particular moment in time where... Most people's cell phones uh, rival entry-level laptops. Uh, and so for a lot of the, the country, and certainly for a lot of the world, right, um, their smartphones are by far the most powerful computer that they own. And at the same time, it's gotten so cheap to produce a laptop. And certainly a lot cheaper to produce a laptop when you don't need all of the fancy processors and stuff internal that's already in your smartphone. And and. One thing I think was fascinating about the laptop is it sort of had this weird afterlife where for $500, they didn't sell real well, but then they started going on eBay for $100 and people would buy them and use them with 
Raspberry Pi or something else, and they would say, oh, it has a keyboard, it has a screen, I can turn my $35 Raspberry Pi computer into a laptop. And so I think the idea really picked up steam around the discontinued product. So I think, I think you know, in some ways, Motorola might have done PR for you and said, look what you can do with a laptop shell. And people said, oh, it's, it's a cool hacker-friendly kind of device. And in some ways, so is the Superbook. You're positioning it as an Android device, but it could, it could potentially do much more, right? Yeah, I mean, look, the technology was built so that it, it could, you know, be pretty flexible. Um, so it works with the Android device, and that's what we hope most people use it for. But if you have a Raspberry Pi, it'll plug in using USB. If you have a PC stick, you can set it up so that it works on there as well. And if you really just wanted it for a second monitor for your Mac or, or your laptop, you can still use it for those purposes. I think what we were thinking of is that, you know, basically by packaging it together and making it fairly affordable we are introducing this idea to a lot more people than the, the small number of people that actually went and purchased the Motorola Atrix. And eventually the idea of buying, again, kind of this, a separate computing system that you have to maintain, that's disconnected from your phone, that uses a separate operating system, that doesn't already have all of the, the data and apps and all the stuff that your phone, which by the way, have now become an extension of most of us. And kind of that like central thing that stores most of our lives on there, right? If it doesn't have that connection, I think hopefully in the future, people will wonder why they ever had that disconnected, you know, ecosystem of devices. So, so you guys raised almost $3 million, about uh, 2.95 million, if I remember correctly. And something like more than 10,000 people have essentially pre-ordered this thing through Kickstarter. Is that right? Uh, a little over 16,000 and, uh, yep. Yeah. Just shy. We're, I think we're like 40 or $50,000 shy of the, the $3 million mark. So a few dollars more than you were expecting. And, um, <laughs> and you know, so, so again, you know, 16000 sounds like a great job for a Kickstarter campaign for a startup that's, you know, getting ready to ship your first hardware. For a company like, say, Motorola, 16000 probably would have been a flop if they had sold that many. So I think there's also maybe a little bit of a difference between sort of this is your business and this is you just getting started as opposed to a big company trying to push this idea. Totally, totally. I would say that, you know, for what it was, Atrix was able to bring a lot more people that were excited about their product. And we're, it's very different between us and Motorola, right? Like, we're essentially trying to push forward this category of product and hopefully get a lot more companies excited and almost prove the value of this product. And one of the things that we're going to have to constantly push against is this idea that, hey, this has been tried and it's just been failed. Our belief is that it's really the software that is the missing link. It's not that the hardware has ever been hard to make. Maybe it's just never been as cheap as it is right now. But it's really having a very seamless software experience that really makes for what our product really promises. So, so is this what, when you first developed the Andromium software, which, again, you can run on a device even without a docking station. You can just run it on your phone and say, look, I have a taskbar on my phone <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, so you, you've been developing this software for a while. Is this what you envisioned eventually? Was it always going to be hardware? Or at first, was it just, let's see what we can do? It was always going to be this type of form factor. In fact, the dock was just a, it was going to be a lot easier to do as a dock. The dock itself wasn't the hard part. We had to make a few modifications to work with certain phones, but it was a very easy way to kind of get into the market. The Superbook took a lot more engineering effort, um, but this was always the promise, right? Like that you could, without doing all that much, plug and play into this experience. And beyond 
selling the Superbook, this type of hardware, we can imagine you know, a, a future where in libraries and areas where people have access to kind of as a public utility, right? Being able to have this technology so that you can just plug it into a station on the train or on the airport and have a productive environment. Or we've been fantasizing about the self-driving car where you plug in your phone and all of a sudden you have a entertainment and you know productivity environment where you can do work and get things done on your way to work. And and so Andromium, uh, the app is available as a free beta. Anybody can download it from the Google Play Store. Is it going to stay free, or when it comes out of beta, is it going to be something that you charge people for? How's that supposed to work? Yeah, we're. I mean, we're always going to have a free version out for people to try. The beta will probably, you know, at some point, we will want to figure out a good way to make sure that we can maintain a viable beta. But our goal is to have as many users as possible enjoy the environment, to be able to get comfortable with the idea of the device convergence and having everything stem from your phone. So there will always be a free version out. I would say for some of the more intricate software experiences, and there are a lot of things that we've been thinking about kind of building in, we'll have a you know a, a paid version or the version that basically all of our Kickstarter backers will get for free for you know, being early supporters in this crazy adventure. And, and what, are, what are some of those uh, sort of premium features? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, some things like a lot of people have asked for being able to do dual screen, right? Which is like, you know, having a environment on your phone and a separate environment on the Superbook, which is doable, just requires a lot more work and probably a higher end device than most people expect. Um, we're looking to build in a lot deeper integrations into existing applications. There are probably a lot more things that we can do in terms of tying in direct hardware components um, into the software. So things like we've been thinking about building in um, additional memory directly into the hardware that would actually work with the, uh, the software itself. So a lot of stuff that actually if you are a backer and if you're in the you know, our beta group, you'll get to play around with and hopefully won't crash your phone too often. <laughs> And um, I mean, that, that starts to answer my next question, which is, so when you started this, Android was an operating system that's meant to run one app at a time. With the introduction of Android 7.0, Google started to change that by allowing uh, two different ways to have more than one app on the screen at a time. The way they're really sort of pushing first is just split screen, which is still kind of limited. But a lot of people have noted that there's this freeform window view, which feels more like a desktop operating system. It seems kind of incomplete in Android 7.0. But it seems like Google is going in this direction towards making Android feel more like a desktop operating system. So what role do you think Andromium or other efforts like Remix OS and other sort of Android as desktop platforms have if Google's going to come into this territory on their own? I think Google has an interesting decision to make, of course, right? Like they're going to be heavily pushing their Chromebook business. And Chromebooks are doing phenomenally well with a separate OS. And, and the, one of the reasons... Now, a lot of people uh, are starting to think, well, are they starting to bring those two operating systems together as Chromebooks now have Android apps? And I actually think it's the opposite. I think it's that having Android apps in Chromebooks allows Chromebooks to really flourish um, and Chrome OS to really flourish as an operating system. On the other side of you know whether or not Google is moving closer into this category, this is probably something that we can spend a lot of time really in, in worrying about. Uh, I think where they're getting closer to is allowing larger phones to be more useful, right, on the kind of multitasking side. The one thing that we're going to be really pushing on is building a developer ecosystem and a series of apps, right, that have the ability to, actually, you know, we, we kind of internally, we call this the continuum effect, 
but not externally because then Microsoft, their lawyers would not be very happy with us. Um, but it's the idea that you have a bunch of apps that you know have the ability to look like one thing in mobile mode and look very different with the same back end and data in desktop mode and transition seamlessly back and forth between that. Because we are both the makers of the hardware and the software, we want to build a very tight you know, integration between the software and the hardware experience so that, again, you have a, a series of apps that run very differently if it's in mobile mode versus plugged into the Superbook. And, and I think it's really building that ecosystem that will allow us to have kind of like a role, even if Google decides that it wants to get closer into the, uh, you know, the, the productivity area. I guess in some ways then it sounds like the Superbook is kind of your nexus, right? Like you've got the software and the Superbook is the ideal hardware at this point to support the software. Yes. Um, you know, but that being said, we're working with some really great hardware partners that have also expressed interest to build their own lines of the hardware um, with a software license from us. And you know, that, that excites us because the more people that we have using the hardware, the more people we have subsequently using the software, and having that user base really allows us to build what is a more defensible position, uh, which is a developer ecosystem, which is a ecosystem of users and tighter integrations on the software side. Were there any things that you were like really applying in the sky? Like I would have loved to have been able to include this, but it just was not feasible. One thing that would be interesting for us to really push into on the hardware side is looking at touch screen. And I only say this because there have been at least 10 times where I've touched the screen expecting something to happen. And it's exciting for us because you and I grew up in a, a laptop first world, right? Or, or maybe a, a desktop first world. And what we're used to and the idea of what a productivity environment means is really defined by history. In a lot of the markets that we're going into, we actually have the ability to define what that is, right? Because for a lot of people, this will be the first time that they experience a laptop or productivity environment. And again, their first computer is an Android smartphone. So especially with the incorporation of touch and other things that people are familiar with as kind of very intuitive ways of interacting with the computer, I think we get to define what the productivity environment really feels like. But I think that we're, that's something that we're going to get to. And uh, it's much better for us to be conservative and measured about getting a first product out and in you know in a good quality in a good shape before um, you know chasing after all of the potential that's out there. So maybe the Superbook two or three will have a touchscreen. The first one, not so much. <laughs> yes, uh, not not so much. But the uh, yeah the Superbook two, uh, may may may. I actually won't say probably because I'll I'll get a bunch of uh, emails over the next you know couple weeks asking when is the Superbook two coming out? When is it? But it's something you're looking at for future iterations, and again, depending on, I guess, how, how well this one's received, will we'll determine whether there is a Superbook 2. Exactly, yeah. And, and really, like, uh, I think if we're able to deliver a really great product and overall experience, there, it just opens up so much more opportunity. Like, I, I've seen you know, Kickstarter products, crowdfunding products come out in general that have a lot of hype, set a lot of high expectations, and deliver a very poor product. And in that case, you might have done well on the Kickstarter, but it doesn't make for a sustainable business. And so we we made a lot of decisions even during the campaign that didn't make us that popular. And you know, obviously, we're providing a very low specs product uh, compared, at least compared to like 
you know, a, a MacBook Air, right? But it allows us to be fairly confident that we can deliver a good experience, a good quality product on time so that, you know, we can hopefully make a lot of people happy. And then with, with that, start doing a lot more. So, so again, without, you know, committing yourself to saying this is what we're going to do in 2017 or 2018. Um, if you looked ahead, you know, five years from now, what do you imagine the, the future is going to look like in terms of the computing devices that we use? The one thesis that we have is that given the scale of mobile computers, that this is the first global computing device. It's the one where just on a number standpoint, every person is going to have a smartphone device at some point. And with that comes a lot of interesting benefits. And obviously, the, the first one is that on the processing power per price point, it's going to be a lot better at some point than laptops. We What we imagine is a world where your smartphone is the sun right, in your solar system. And everything else is a satellite. It's a peripheral that essentially takes something from the sun. And, and look, the peripherals might have, you know, again, the Superbook is a peripheral, right? Like we add a bunch of additional capabilities to your phone, but, but really without your phone, you can't really do that much. And we, I can imagine the same thing for like cars where you have a car where your, you know, a lot of the computing is done for what you need in the car is done directly on the smartphone, but it's enhanced by some of the things that are in the peripheral itself. That's the future that we imagine. And in this future, it really isn't, even now, it isn't hardware that's the barrier. It's really just providing a really great software experience um, so that everything integrates very tightly. And in that future, do you think everybody's going to be doing it this way? Or will there still be Windows laptops and Mac laptops and Ubuntu laptops and so on? Oh, no, I, I yeah, I don't think we'll ever get to a point where, you know, I think that's the beauty of people is that we're so diverse in what we want and, uh, you know, what we enjoy, that I think this will be a, a segment of the population. And I think Windows laptops will never die. <laughs> well, they'll get a blue screen of death, but... <laughs> I, think, uh, I think there will always be someone out there running a, uh, a Windows 95 desktop somewhere or, uh, you know, Windows 3.0 somewhere. I, I, I think that's the, that's the other fun thing, especially about our target demographic is, you know, most of the people that back us originally are such tinkers and that is uh, both the beauty of android and the beauty of you know the, the ecosystem we're building on is that it's so much about customizing and being able to control your computing experience andrew zhong is co-founder of andromium the company behind the superbook laptop dock for smartphones andrew thanks for taking the time to speak with us yeah thanks yeah no I, this was fun you can find out more about the Superbook or place a pre-order at the Andromium website, andromiumos.org. There's also a link at our website, lpxshow.com, where you'll also find more information about this podcast, links to previous episodes, and all sorts of other good stuff. You can support the podcast by making a contribution to our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash bradlinder. And you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or just about anywhere else that you find podcasts. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review in iTunes. Thanks for listening to LPX. I'm Brad Linder.